Welcome to another ski podcast recorded during the coronavirus lockdown. Um, skiing is sadly officially um, over in the mountains. I don't know if I said that last time or what, but you know, it was um, a week ago that the last kind of resorts would have been closing their doors realistically. Um, so, you know, it was a bit of a somber time for me realizing that. But there is good news. Um, Switzerland is expecting to open for skiing um, next year for certain. And we know this because they're continuing to sponsor the podcast. That's good news. Um, and I imagine they'll probably open some of the resorts in the summer as well. So Switzerland Tourism, thank you very much for ex uh, extending the sponsorship of the podcast. Ian, you got anything to say about that? Well, yeah, I think, you know, they'll certainly be skiing in Switzerland before next year. I think 8th of June in uh, Zermatt looks, uh, and morning, Jim, by the way, <laughs> uh, 8th of June in Zermatt looks possible because according to their, you know, deconfinement, unlockdown, whatever you want to call it, um, you know, mountain lifts can start turning from that date. Wow, that's the rule, is it? Interesting. Yeah, um, and and also you talk about skiing. They, you know, they were skiing on the glacier in Austria yesterday. Uh, I didn't. Were they allowed to? <clears throat> yeah, it was members of the uh, Austrian team. So you know, we're uh, we're rapidly, rapidly moving back into uh, um, the new normal. Let's call it that. The new normal, whatever that um, may well be. And this is a special podcast. Um, the, the first part is going to be like a, a normal podcast. And then we're going to move into a, a lengthy interview with um, the legend that is Dave Riding. Um, so we are working our way up to that. But there are a few things that we'll do before that. We're going to have some general chat like normal. Ian has been talking to a man who built a garden, a bit of chairlift in his garden. Didn't build a garden, had one already. And uh, there'll be some reviews. Um, first of all, Ian, you know, I think Switzerland are doing some promotion, trying to get people in. Um, although I'm a bit concerned about their promotional tools. Their company designed an escape room online, which to me seems um, uh, almost like they're goading people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, their strap line at the moment, I think, is dream now, travel later, um, which is a nice enough uh, idea. But yeah, I, you know, I ha have you tried it, this escape room? Um, I did have a brief go. Um, I have to be honest, um, I find those things incredibly um, frustrating uh, and annoying and almost um, stressful. I wouldn't even like to go in a real one. An online one just annoys me immensely. But it's not yeah. just about me. Other people might enjoy it. Well, they might. I mean, I'd rather a game of Monopoly or, or something. But Escape to Valet, it's actually been put together by Valet. I'll stick a, I'll stick a uh, link in the show notes, but there's an online escape game devoted to the valet and there's some there's some pretty good prizes um you know holidays and things like that um let's move into um uh, the realities of covid in the ski industry before we go any further ian you've been doing some research i believe for sure yeah no real research um with a friend of mine uh rob who uh, does pr in the industry his business is called uh ski press and um, we surveyed a bunch of people in the industry, uh, mainly, well, it was a mix. Some of them working for tour operators, some of them destinations in the UK, um, some of them in the media. And the really interesting results that uh, that came out of that. I mean, pretty negative results, but, you know, you'd be dreaming if you didn't think the ski industry was uh, was struggling at the moment. I mean, I, I guess the main bit that stood out for me is uh, that 20 Four percent, a quarter of them, you know, worried about going out of business, uh, and two thirds, uh, you know, having reduced sales for next season. You know, it's it's definitely a difficult period. Hopefully, you know, the fact that some resorts are you know coming back online and lifts are starting to turn, etc., will will improve confidence. You know, listener, if you're if you're out there and thinking about booking another ski season, I guess the positive side of it was they were all pretty. Um, <clears throat> unanimous can't remember the exact percentages now uh 85 percent think that uh you know the resorts will open uh next season you know around the uh, the right time but mainly with social distancing in place so you know the resorts are going to be open it's going to be very interesting to see how how they open let's put it like that I think um, that's going to be the weirdest part is social distancing is going to be such a challenge. I mean, fortunately, they're in the position to have 
be able to watch glaciers um, open in the summer and see how they deal with it, and also to to witness um, the the southern hemisphere's um, ski um, strategy and how they deal with it. But I mean, yep. I think it's, it's social distancing is going to be a massive challenge if that's or distancing. It's not social; it's just distancing, right? And you know, queues are a problem, <laughs> cable cars are a problem. It's I can't. I mean, I I can't imagine how it would work with the same volume. The only answer is to reduce the volume of people in ski resorts. Yeah. Or you've got to be realistic and just understand that you're not going to ski as much. You'll probably ski a quarter of the amount in a day than you would normally. And I think that's probably what's going to happen if that happens. If, if well, is it, is it going to be like that? It's like you say, they've got to cut something, haven't they? They've got to cut the number of people. Can you, are you going to have quotas and the lifts? I mean, Chamonix have actually just announced how they're going to open up the Agri de Midi and the Montanver lifts uh, this summer. And they're reducing the capacity down to about 40% of the normal capacity. They're also going to have thermal uh, cameras or scan people and automatically identify if anyone's you know, running a temperature. Uh, and face masks will be compulsory. Um, so, as you say, you know, resorts will be looking at that to see how it works. They want to get people to buy their tickets online in advance, which you always used to have to do if you wanted to go up the Agri de Midi anyway. Um, realistically, but uh, you know, how's it going to work in practice? Uh, we will find out. I think um, thermal imaging is a bit insane to, to do. Surely you've got thermal trousers on, thermal um, t-shirts on, you've got quite hefty <laughs> jackets on. You're going to be, and you've walked in ski boots all the way to the Agua de Midi station to to want to come down it. You're going to be pretty hot. No one's going to be allowed on that lift. I don't think. I think 80 80 people are allowed on that lift, and they're reducing it to 30. Yeah. Which, I mean, I'm all for going skiing, but then, uh, I mean, it's just that's not distancing. 30 people in a small cable car, it's not that big. Doesn't make sense to me. But Did you see, did you see the picture that they released of how they've kind of marked out the floor into like a checkerboard? Yeah, but you still got to get in it. It's still a confined space of yeah. 30 people that you don't know where they've come from. Yeah. Um, like, you know, personally, I'd probably do it. That's just, you know, I, I am a, effectively, I take risks, right? Yeah. But responsibly, I don't think it's, I just, I don't know, there's a conflict in me about the responsibility of allowing people into this when they're saying, I can't even meet more than 10 mates down the road when lockdown opens, but 30 people, strangers, can get into um, uh, a confined space. For a lengthy period of time that probably isn't going to be cleaned effectively come conflicted in that's all i'm saying for sure no i mean I, I kind of that conflict has existed uh you know all the way through uh, this as you say we'll see how um how it works but evidently you know austria is open for skiing chamney's lifts are going to uh open i'm trying to remember the date for that 16th of 16th of may you know another week or so and uh, you know June for Swiss lifts, so you know we're going to have and and obviously in uh, Australia, New Zealand, well it's still very early on. Their season doesn't normally kick off till later, but you know that, that we'll see how it works over there as well. And also, I read this morning that um, Arapahoe Basin in Colorado, their normal closing date is the seventh of June, and they are still hopeful they might be able to reopen prior to that in the remaining months so you know maybe we'll see it in place uh, a bit there as well right should we take a uh, trip down memory lane way back <laughs> the beginning of uh, coronavirus when it stopped us all skiing uh, and there was one man who was determined to give his children uh, a small thrill that skiing brings ian's been chatting to steve cross how did it go in yeah really good i mean as yourself in the interview you know, Steve's a uh, a really nice man, and uh, he just explained. And what we're talking about is that viral video that you probably saw in the first week. You remember the the Graham Bell one? We interviewed him, and you said, "Oh, have you gone too early?" <laughs> so uh, Graham, but you know, Steve, um, yeah, built this chairlift in his back garden, and you know, tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions, of people have seen this across the world. So, listener, if you're listening to Ski Podcast, chances are you have. Have a listen. Right, I am here uh, today with uh, Steve Cross, and uh, you know you may not have heard Steve Cross, but there's a quite a good chance that you'll have actually seen him. 
because he is a guy who um, created uh, that amazing uh, video that you probably have uh, uh, seen of a, a kind of chairlift in a garden for his two uh, daughters. And um, firstly, Steve, can I just say, I mean, that was it was just so joyful watching that video. You know, I absolutely just loved it. And, and clearly I wasn't alone. I mean, I think millions of people around the world have seen it. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's uh, I wasn't expecting it to be. I mean, we just put it up on up on social media so that kind of friends and family uh, could see it and have just been absolutely blown away with um, how uh, how viral it went and uh, where it's ended up. Well, it's gone around the world for sure. There's no doubt. I mean, I wouldn't have a clue how many people have, have seen it overall, but definitely I saw one that was posted on um can't remember what what uh, Facebook page it was on, but that one had had fourteen million views, mm-hmm. and I know it was in the um, in the Daily Mail and you know places all over the world. So um, you know, famous but without necessarily people knowing your name. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And what we you know, I mean, firstly, there's the technical side of it. It's very impressive but you know just before we kind of started recording you told me what you do for a living that that yeah the help what, what you know remind us where you work so uh i work at uh snow zone in milton Keynes. i'm head of freestyle uh and that job entails um designing and assisting on the build with their weekly freestyle parks that they that they build every week so so yeah um uh, so i've got a little bit of a background in mm. kind of the practical aspects of kind of construction on things like that yeah slightly slightly different though what you uh, put together because yeah. what we're looking at uh, and if you haven't seen the video we'll put it in the show notes but essentially it looks like a camping chair that you've sort of attached to a pulley system that you set up in your garden that's right yeah so um the the slope we we had already the kids uh have uh been sledging on that for we've had that for a couple of years actually just right. just for a bit of okay. fun uh, but we've never actually skied on it before. Um, and then I had the idea of, of uh, kind of building a, a ski lift and making it a little bit more, a uh, bit more fun. So uh, and it was just a case of kind of scrounging around in the garden and seeing what we had uh, to be able to put it together. Well, I can tell you, uh, you know, uh, um, let's say an engineer, because most people don't, <laughs> if I scrounge around in my garden, I wouldn't get very close to coming up with anything uh that uh that i could create for that but that's interesting you already had that slope so you didn't actually make that slope that you know what sort of material were they skiing on there so it's called um ski grass and it's the the same material well it's basically the material that they use on uh, revolving slopes um like the the, there's uh the ones in uh ski zone in basingstoke and uh and ski easy and places like that. Uh, yep. Fortunately, I was working at one of those centres and they replaced the surface quite regularly. Uh, and they were throwing out old old surface, so I right. threw a couple of rolls in the back of my car because I thought. Yeah, because be I did look over on the left hand side of the video. It looks like you can see like a spare roll of it. Yeah, that's right. So um, so I've got I've got a backup for for if the if the old the other surface that's on there if that wears out, then I've got a, a little bit of extra uh as well so well amazing and and, and uh, you know is it does it um because you built it because mm-hmm. am i right in thinking that you were going to be going away on holiday somewhere that's right yeah so we go away uh every year in easter um and uh we go away with some uh some family friends uh and uh, yeah so we're all booked up ready to go to team uh and um i think like many people we were watching uh and and hoping as there was some kind of will they shut won't they shut and then eventually it became pretty obvious that the whole kind of uh winter season in europe was was dead and then then was the point of actually you know sitting the kids down and saying really sorry but unfortunately this year it isn't going to be a ski holiday so and of course that was before we had the kind of the big shutdowns of the schools and the businesses and stuff like that so initially it was just a case of well okay this is it's just going to be our, our holiday, which is which is cancelled. Then, of course, everything kind of snowballed on from there. Um, and uh, yeah, so um, with the kids at home and myself at home as well, uh, not able to work. Um, so I, I thought it would be a good project and kind of cheer them up because they because they couldn't go skiing. Well, I mean, they looked like they were having a ball. 
uh, in the uh, in the video. This is your so you've got uh, two kids who are um, how how old would they be? So yeah, so Emily's ten and uh, Jessica is six. Yeah, and they've been skiing on snow a few times. They have, yeah. So um, obviously my background, although I'm a freestyle manager at the uh, snow centre, I'm also a qualified instructor. Um, uh, and uh, <laughs> so uh, and I've been in the industry for a while. So they both started skiing when they were very young. Um, so uh, and really enjoy it uh, and love it. So we ski um, throughout the year um, at the various domes and places like that um, uh, and, and try and get try and get a, a snow holiday a week away over Easter yeah. every year. Well, I guess if you're working at, at the uh, snow zone, then um, hopefully you get uh, the perk of your kids being able to ski there as well. Yeah, it does. It does have a certain advantages working at places like that. Yeah. And, um, you know, in the, in the video, which you can see, um, the, the way it works, obviously, there's no there's no. Um, well, the power <laughs> comes from you. You have to pull them up every time. Was that hard work? It yeah it was I mean the first time uh, that I did it it, um, it it seemed to work okay um, it did seem so uh, the kids loved it so I mean for for about two weeks for the two weeks of Easter they were pretty much on it every night um, <laughs> which gave me a pretty good workout um, right. and I did we did do some it did have some uh, tinkering done to it to make it a little bit easier um, to pull it up because it, it was actually I was starting to get aching hands rather than kind of aching muscles was the thing I was finding okay uh, making it difficult but uh, but yeah well yeah. brilliant and and what I'd really like to know I guess our listeners would like to know as well is did they all get on the end of the rope and haul you up there have you had, <laughs> have you had a go in it <laughs> well we we uh, no <laughs> we uh, we tested it before I put the kids on it I threw some weights and some sandbags on it and we tested it up to uh, about right. 50, 50 kilos yeah. so a fairly safe weight to put the kids on but I didn't test it any higher than that I wasn't uh, uh, <laughs> I wasn't gung-ho enough to see if if uh, if it would work um so uh because obviously it, it doesn't have a break so if you let, let go if they did let go of the rope pulling me up i would have shot backwards fairly quickly so yeah, yeah. didn't get a chance to do it myself <laughs> that wouldn't have looked so good on video no <laughs> cool well you know like i said you know um it, you know it, on the off chance as a listener listening to this now you haven't seen it look in the show notes because it really, I mean, there have been some really imaginative things. I'm sure you've seen some of the other kind of, mm -hmm. you know, viral ski videos and stuff that have been going on and people have, you know, come up. We interviewed Graham Bell, actually, a couple of episodes ago about, did you see it when he skied down the inside of his house? Uh, uh, do you know what? I haven't seen that. I'll have yeah, to well, I'll send, you, I'll, I'll send you the link, Steve. Wonderful. So lots of, uh, you know, inventive ways of doing things, but none of them have given me, uh, you know, as much joy uh as as watching your one you know and uh so thank congratulations you. to you for making it uh happen thank and you really good really good really good speaking to you and you so here's a few things that i built uh, i built a teepee i've made some bread um i built a really rubbish r2d2 out of cardboard that hardly could go inside it was terrible um i've made a lot of children cry uh, mainly the same two. Uh, I've uh, built a set of swings for them to play on, uh, and I've started in making some really, uh, let's say, shit ski art. That's um, that's what I've been doing in terms of construction. So nothing on a patch is still what Steve Cross achieved in one day. That's still very, very impressive. You you built a set of swings for your kids. Uh, well, the frame was there. I just tied some rope on it and built some swings. I had to go and take them down. Um, in fact, I had to go to my uh, another place um, and get the swings down um, where they were on a house. And this guy came out and he kindly held the ladder for me um, as I untied the rope. And then he, then as I was untying it and starting to get the swings down, he said, oh, are you taking these swings down? I was like, uh, obviously. Um, he was like, oh, I really like sitting on these since you haven't been here. <laughs> like, right, okay. luck. You've already he didn't, he didn't accuse down. you of uh, stealing them then? No, it was my swing. Right. Okay. So really, you moved um, a set of swings from one place to another. Debatable. <laughs> pretty good. Anyway. Well, either way, I'm impressed with yours, but particularly impressed with Steve's uh, uh, creativity. I have nothing to uh, to match that at all. I'm afraid. Oh, disappointing. Disappointing, Ian. Um, creatively, um, do you want to make up some reviews? I know you normally do it. So uh, let's get creative. Well, I don't have to because we have lots of people listening to the podcast. I guess we'll give a shout out to uh, Pablo Rodriguez. Thanks very much. He said, he said uh, great podcast, fun and informative. Good work. 
thank you, Pablo, if you're listening. Well, that is very nice of you, Pablo. Thank you very much for that review. Um, Leon Rossi says he enjoys the pod this AM. Uh, keep up the great work. These That's people, good. they're short reviews. They need to try harder. The reviews aren't that good this week in terms of... Oh, I think, well, wait, wait until we get to the uh, last one. Who's going to read that out? I'll say that Mike Powell on Snowheads, uh, Snowhead said uh, another great lesson. Uh, thanks very much. That takes us to our last review. Are, are you going to read it or shall I? Uh, I don't know. I haven't seen it. Where is it? <laughs> oh, haven't you? Right, okay. It's uh, an attachment on our show notes. I will read it out. It's from Pedro Davidenko, and it's on iTunes. One star out of five, so negative. Had high hopes for a dedicated ski podcast, but instead got two guys slagging off various ski companies for the most part. I don't know what that was. Was that, um, was that when we were talking about refunds? Is that what you're thinking of? Um, I don't know. Maybe you listened to some of the earlier podcasts um, where we um, used to look at um, products that came from the world of ski that were invariably ah, rubbish, you know, like the, yeah. the ski walker, a, a thing that you've got to have yeah. to help you carry your skis or neoprene boot covers okay. that do absolutely nothing or stupid face masks. Okay. Well, we yeah, maybe, to, maybe. I still um, would slag them off, Ian, um, <laughs> if I'm honest. They're rubbish. Maybe, and if, it's probably this maybe. man has probably bought them. And is really upset that he owns the products we didn't like and has decided to give us a one-star review. Well, he also said it's also pretty dull. Not sure it's why, uh, why it's got such a high rating. Maybe it's some mates that have listened and given it a high rating. Skiing is supposed to be fun. Well, I thought we were fun. And look at our reviews. We've had 67. Have you got 67 mates? Have they all reviewed I have not got 67 mates. I have not got that many friends. No, well, Pedro joins the one other person who gave us a one out of five star review. Um, but I just, uh, uh, in in case you're feeling down about it, I did see that 93% of our iTunes reviews are either four or five star. So I'm sorry, Pedro, I presume you're not listening to this um, just now, unless you're still checking to see if we're slagging anyone else off. Um, but yeah, maybe. Now you. <laughs> maybe give it. Maybe give it a few more episodes um because they're not all you know i think there's a lot of positivity in there um i agree with his comment though skiing should be fun of course yeah i didn't think it it wasn't i think we're full of fun fun time people fun time bobby that's us <laughs> don't know um and uh, in terms of feedback we also get listener questions i think there's a question from someone isn't there yeah, I don't know that we're going to be able to answer it right now, but um, Andrew... Oh, I think I can. Oh, can you? Okay, cool. Andrew Brennan said, um, a rose in Switzerland has the biggest gay ski weeks in Europe. Uh, can you do an interview on that and tell us what goes on? Yeah, I can tell you exactly what goes on. I think a group of like-minded people who enjoy skiing, um, have some shared interests potentially, and meet up once a year in a big group and all go skiing. There's probably fondue. Um, there's probably a little bit of apres ski, definitely lots of skiing, some fun. And if one of them's really lucky, they might get off with a resort rep. And imagine that's exactly what happens. Um, <laughs> we can interview someone about it, but I don't think anything other than that really goes on. Ian, that, do, you, do you agree? Well, probably, yeah. I mean, that sounds remarkably like a lot of uh, holidays, doesn't it? Um, I, yeah. Uh, but I think maybe that's a feature that we should do uh, uh, down the track. I remember they um, had the, there are a lot of, you know, gay ski events. I think it was the European Gay Ski Week was in Val Terenz a couple of years ago. And there are a lot of kind of, you know, outrageous uh, pictures um, that went along with that because I was sharing it all for uh, uh, Les Trois Valets on their Twitter feed. Um, but probably that's just... Uh, you know, the PR side of things. Um, I don't really know. But we're, I'm sure we can interview it some more at some point, uh, Andrew. Yeah, definitely. Why not? Uh, right, should we get to the headline uh, of this show? Um, uh, it's taken a long time to get there. Um, and I'm sure Dave Riding is probably really stoked to follow um, that particular segment. Um, <laughs> so let's uh, get on. Here's us chatting to Dave Riding a few weeks ago. A few days ago. There we go. Um, we are now joined by our new favourite Dave. Um, it's uh, 
it's uh, Dave riding everybody. Um, just to point out, Dave, we normally have um, a, a complete uh, array of cast members called Dave, so it's nice to have the, the best Dave we could possibly find to come on to the podcast. <laughs> Thank you very much. Everyone knows um, the Dave, right? <laughs> everyone knows the Dave. We know loads. Um, just so you know, it's not a nerdy interview. I'm not going to be asking you about um, ski edge angles, etc. I mean, Ian might. I'm not going. Um, so I'm going to start off. Here's your first question I'd like to ask is, what is your favourite result? The, the, what's been your favourite result you've ever had? The favourite one is definitely it's definitely a Kitzbühel, uh, my first podium. I can't I can't think of one that would beat that. Um, obviously, there's other results that I regard highly, but definitely the the podium in Kitzbühel was easily my favourite result. Um, yeah. There we go. Nice and easy. Go on, Ian. You makes can have a question. Because uh, just to, to confirm, I mean, that effectively uh, is the equal best with with Conrad Bartelski, uh, I think, uh, best ever result by a British uh, alpine skier, right? Yeah, I think there was a lady back in the, was it Davina? Davina something back in the day. Davina Hawthorne, was it? Yeah, something like It was either Gina Hawthorne and Davina someone else or Davina right. I can't get the, I can never get both the names right. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, if you go back to the 70s, there was a second back then in the World Cup as such. Yeah. But yeah, um, certainly male and uh, equal in the best anyway, yeah. Cool. Um, I think you should ask him a question, Ian. Have you got one as blue Petery as is I had? Uh, not so much blue V3, but I'm always interested in, uh, you know, the training um, side of things. Uh, I mean, we can kind of maybe move on to what you, how you're dealing with this current situation and how you, how you cope with that. But to start off with, I was actually interested in the training that you do, you know, if you were out in a resort, because kind of my understanding is you obviously mix up your fitness training with technique. And it's, let's say right now you're on a glacier somewhere. And you go up and you kind of ski all morning from from first thing. Is that how it works? Yeah, it, it totally varies depending on what time of year of how much fitness I'm doing with the skiing. Because um, in the winter, trying to make sure that I'm staying relatively fresh for the, the weekend if I've got a race. Whereas in the summer, I don't have to worry about a race at a weekend and being in the perfect, perfect um, shape to perform. Um, but yeah, in the summer, I'll say we're on a glacier in Sasfe where we go quite often. Um, the lift is at, I don't even know, six, some ungodly hour. Or you can get an earlier one at like 4.50, which is not nice. But then, yeah, we'll train probably on skis for about three hours. Aim to, I like to do a lot of free skiing as well as as well as um, in-gates training. I mean, a lot of people ask me why don't I train GS. I do train or race GS. I do train a bit of GS, but I do a lot of free skiing as well, working on technique out of the course. And then after that, I'll go into the course if, if conditions are, are going to be good all morning. Because if it's too hot, then we've got to kind of shift the focus towards the course first to get the harder snow. And how many times might you do uh, an actual run of gates then during that uh, session? In the summer? Um, yeah. In the summer, depending on how I'm, I'm feeling and, and what like how many days I've had on, um, it can be up to 10, as little, uh, but as little as 6. Um, something like that because I actually I actually listened to a podcast I think you did I can't remember when you did one and you were saying that maybe I only did four runs in the in training in the winter yeah that's what I got 10,000 hours in and so I I got my calculator out and was like right how many hours have I done since I was six (laughs) but I didn't figure it out because you know i was kind of moving on to that and that ten thousand hours theory you know to master your art but if you're you know doing those you know six to ten runs a a day and they're each what like a minute each or something like that varies yeah but you're looking about a minute because sometimes i'll I'll split the runs up i'll do like 10 gates and stop if something if i'm focusing particularly on one thing in the technique if it i'll do 10 gates stop and then my coach Tristan, I'll have the video and be like, right, that was good. Do it again. Or nah, you're still doing the old thing. So um, do it again. So rather than do a whole run of doing the wrong thing, sometimes we'll split it up to try and get a bit more feedback when you're trying to learn a new skill. Yeah. yeah. Do, you, do you think, do you think then the fact that um, obviously, you know, you don't spend, every minute of your training like really focusing on that te- technique and doing gates does that mean that this kind of 
situation we have at the moment where you know you can't go skiing and presumably most of your competitors you know you can't go skiing uh, either does that mean that it, it the kind of the, the difference isn't so bad i mean you can obviously really work on your fitness etc yeah i mean apart from missing the last two races because of the virus um this time of year is down well i've had my downtime already but this time of the year is very much um focused on fitness and i would normally look to go away ski in the end of may or the start of june yeah um we probably can't go at the start of june um we'll see but uh yeah everything all the plans the plan is the start of june but we have to take it week by week or even close to the time day by day when we can actually go back out but yeah it depends because obviously we can we might be able to move around our country pretty freely well we are yeah. kind of, um, but we might not be allowed to go into say a country that's pretty much got the got rid of the virus so that's when it might come tough is when the swiss are allowed to train on their glaciers but we're not allowed to travel into the, their countries that could that's when it would start becoming a little bit um could, could you I, go grass skiing maybe yeah, certainly go either well it depends what's open i'd certainly uh, do something yeah not grass skiing but chill factory or pendle i would i would go back up to pendle and just do some drills or just be on the skis you know just for balance or yeah and such um if, if i could yeah so chill um, factory you could get enough enough both of those two destinations you get enough to, uh, enough gates in to to make it uh, worthwhile. It, it certainly wouldn't. I certainly wouldn't be focusing on gate training. I'd, I'd be right. more doing very basic um, work on technique, like the very very basic stuff. Um, we couldn't do because when we go somewhere, it's okay. The glaciers you don't water and ice, but in the morning they're frozen rock hard. Or when we're training somewhere else indoors, it's absolute heat ice. Whereas we can't really do that in U the UK. So. Yeah, it would be tough to do something like that. But yeah, um, yeah I'd definitely make something work to, to be doing something productive. I'd sure. have to. Okay. I'd have yeah. to. Cool. Over to you, Jim. Wow, this is slick. Um, so <laughs> I want to know, you say you do, um, you know, not just always gate training all the time. Do you ever recreationally ski? Do you go out and enjoy it? Do you go, I'm going to go and do this and that, like we would normally do as a, a massive punter? Do you punter ski like the rest of us? I don't really have time. Um, well, there's two re like when we're in the thick of the action in the winter, it's very much training, recovery, a little bit of fitness, recovery, trying to make sure you're doing putting all your energy in the right areas. Um, and then say if I have a, a week free or five days free in the winter, I, I, I like to come back to the UK just because that's that's my relaxation area. It's like it's away from the skiing. I grew up here, so. Being in the mountains, it, well, it's, it's pretty normal for me, but home is still home. Whereas maybe the French or the Swiss would go home and they would maybe do one day powder skiing if it snowed, whereas I'm at home. So then I don't really I don't really do the skiing for recreation. And, and even even though my fiance is, uh, is a, was a ski racer for the Netherlands, we've only ever done one day actually skiing together. And we've been together like nine years. So that's, right. that says it all. Wow. Do you think that will change in the future? Can you see yourself? Because obviously you never see um, you, your age like the rest of us. Um, do, you, do you see like you can carrying on into the ski um, lifestyle or would you turn into a trainer? What do you feel that would happen? I'd definitely be doing, I'd definitely be in skiing some some shape or some something for sure. Um, quite often get asked if I would go into coaching um, or that. I, I would of some sort for sure or or pass on certain areas that that I've learned over the over the years, but um, I think my main my main thing would have to be what if I ha if I'm lucky enough to have a family um, because I, I, I'm away all the time, so I would have to go away again for coaching. So it's not always fair on Mandy, my fiance, if I'm then like right, I finished skiing, but um, I'm away. 250 days of next year anyway some coaching i don't think that'll go down too well but but for sure we'll go on some ski holidays that's that's something i definitely look forward to maybe in my 40s or something but uh yeah. Until then, yeah i mean it is possible to do it because chemi alcott uh you know recently had a couple of kids and uh between her and and dougie who's also a skier they managed to do ski camps and all go away uh together on trips so the whole yeah, family yeah. is camping to be out definitely do 
do something like that. I'm just not sure if I'd want that lifestyle. Um, yeah. It's been, I've done it for so long, just charging around that for, for a few years, I certainly wouldn't want to to do it because it's it's relentless. Um, yeah. I just want to just do something else for a bit and then maybe come back or or even the dry slopes. I'm a, I'm a massive fan of, of the dry slopes because that's what I grew up on. So um, I'd definitely be doing some sort of dry slope coaching or training. That's where I see myself more straight away rather than going straight out to the Alps. And is this why you've um, retraining to be a barista as well and you've opened a, a coffee shop? Well, I was hoping to train as a barista after the season, like in my three or four weeks sort of off. Um, but I can't because <laughs> everything's shut. So I'm going to have to wait another year. But thankfully, Mandy's the trained barista. So I, yeah. I, I pulled a few shifts like before we had to close, which was which was really nice. And it was quite cool to just get a, a taste of the real world. But yeah, now that I'm back into training, I certainly I, I don't I don't do any work in there because when I'm not training, I've got to recover. And if I yeah, it just doesn't it just doesn't work. So certainly while I'm still skiing, that has to be on hold. Um, but it's it's good for Mandy also because she's from the Netherlands, getting settled in the UK, and then she has the ability to run a business. It, it's really cool, and and I can see what goes on from the on the sidelines. So uh, it's it's good to have on the side. But yeah, I certainly don't do any work in there as such. I go in for the coffee, but. Is it yeah. like a is it a ski themed coffee shop? Are there pictures of you with race winds on the wall? Like um, I'm thinking of like uh, the Red Rock Cafe in the Zark 2000, which is full of like the speed skier stuff. Is it is it one of those? Is it a shrine to yourself? That's what I'm no, asking. No, no. <laughs> I, I've, I've, the only thing I've really we've got some really old wooden skis on the wall and some old poles, and then my Olympic bibs are on the wall. But um, yeah. no, we're in a we're not in a very ski village, so. It, it, I put my bibs on there and I thought that was probably enough because, yeah, I, I'm not a big fan of chucking my face all over a cafe and being being a, I don't know what, but, yeah, could be perceived yeah. two ways, but, yeah. You mentioned uh, you mentioned Mandy, your fiance. He's obviously over in the in the UK. I think I'm right in saying that you were due to get married this summer. Is that right? A week ago, yeah. A week ago, <laughs> we're right. To go, we're supposed sorry. to go on our honeymoon today. <laughs> Related, well, where uh, were you going? Well, you'll never believe it, but we were going on a cruise around Asia, finishing in China. Ooh, <laughs> that could have been a disaster. I think I read somewhere that you were planning to get married on your favourite ski slope. Or I was I planning to get married at the top of um, Obergogel, yeah. Right, and, uh, okay. Right at the top of the mountain there, which was it's really nice. So, But yeah, sail of until next year. Hopefully, okay. I can keep, keep her happy for another year, so she doesn't leg it. Okay, well that that will come, and that would be an amazing place to get married as well. Yeah, yeah. As an aside, my parents met in Obergurgle, so um, have a romantic connection to that resort as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You should invite them, Dave, um, uh, next year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they'd love it. Um, should we talk about um, Olympics? I'm always interested in the way that it's always bigged up to be the most important part of uh, any competitor's career is to become um, an Olympian and enter it. Do you feel that's right? And, you know, how does it compare just to the standard World Cup circuit? Is it is it everything for you to train towards that? Or is it more important to have really good results throughout the season? Um, well, Olympics is obviously the pinnacle. And if, if you'd probably ask anyone what race would they want to win. I mean, some might say Schladming or Kitzbühel, but most would say the Olympics. As a kid, I, I I really I dreamt of going to an Olympics, and but my main sort of dream was to be ranked in the top thirty in the world because that's when you get the second runs and that's when you're on TV and performing like at the top. That's when I sort of classed you. That's when you're at the the pinnacle. Um, so for me, I, I like performing all year. I don't like this whole one race. Like like you see with the the British cycling and that the, on the track, everything's all around this one race every four years. Um, I don't really like it because I like competing. Um, I'd rather be good every single week. Um, I'd rather have 10 World Cup wins than one Olympic win, that's for sure. Um, but but you'd be in Britain, the Olympics are, are built up to be such a big thing. You will be more remembered if you've won that Olympic gold rather than 10 World Cup wins. But for me personally, um, I, I'd prefer 10 World Cup wins and maybe an Olympic bronze. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, we always talk about it on yeah. the show. Like we joke about it that you know when we talk about um, uh, Team G results and stuff like that. How you know um, to be recognised in the UK, you've really got to become an Olympian, or you know you only seem to get mentioned in the spotlight when you're really high up. Um, does that? I mean, obviously, there's the hardcore British skiers that follow you. Um, are you happy with that, or would you rather be more more in in this limelight? Um, I'm not really a person that really chases the limelight. To be honest, I don't. I'm not doing it for for the limelight or for money or anything like that because I didn't didn't make any money until I was like 29. So fortunately, now that I got in the top 30, it, it paid off. Um, that side of it, it's not like football or anything like that but it's enough to live it's enough to live live off and be comfortable off so that's nice but um I'm not bothered about the limelight I just I just do it because I have my personal goals and that's enough for me some people live for the limelight and want to stay in it as long as they can uh, I'm not bothered in that it's just not it's not for me um so much stress comes with it as well when you're trying to be in this or trying to be in this like whatever and you're pushing yourself and no, I, I'm from up north. We're, we don't chase the limelight. <laughs> I, I like uh, your attitude there. I mean, it sounds uh, it really sounds great, and you're obviously seems that you're very you're level-headed about the whole thing. But you know, you're saying okay, you've done fairly well. Uh, you know, out of it. I mean, it must be a bloody expensive business carting everything. I know you you're supported by you're part of the team. But carting all of your kit around the world from race to race the whole time must cost a lot of money, right? Yeah, like it was now we're, now the team's in a very strong position. The new federation is like such a professional outfit compared to back in, say, 2010 when I can't remember what it was called. The federation then went bankrupt and, and went into yeah. administration literally a month before the Vancouver Olympics. Um, now we have a, an unbelievable federation that that supports supports their athletes and and um, I'm fortunate enough that I get a lot of support from UK Sport and the Federation. So for me now, it's it's um, obviously yeah, it's still financial. It costs a lot and a lot for the team. Um, but the real hard times were when I was say 18 to 20, 27, 28. Even more so because the Federation back then, well, it was it wasn't very good. We didn't have a good Federation until GBS came along. So. But at the same time, yeah, it's uh, it's tough, and it would have been easier to have, say, a serviceman before I was 28, or be able to train a little bit more freely than the budget we had. But at the same time, it certainly made me work hard. It certainly made me appreciate what I've got now. And um, while it's easy to say I know how to work hard because everyone's working hard, but it does give you that sort of um, mindset that you've got to dig in. And and it comes and goes. I'm not going to say that I'm always like drilling myself 100%. You'll know with anything that some days it's just harder to get out of bed. Um, and it's yeah. the same with training. It's the same with anything. You, but you just got to commit to it and and go through the, go through it anyway. But you certainly learn that when when you don't have everything all the time. Yeah, and they get and what's great is that you have that opportunity to focus full time because I I think I. Think back to Alan Baxter. I'm pretty sure I read that, you know, while he was at his peak, he was going home and, and hammering in fence posts in Scotland in the uh, summer to, you know, help uh, earn money and keep himself going. Yeah, I, I wouldn't like that. I, I, I don't really know the situation. Um, I, certainly when he was in the top 15, I, I very much doubt that. Um, they, they had UK sport back then as well. So, But for sure, when he was younger, he would definitely have had to do yeah. that. Um, I was fortunate when I... I, I went full time, like as my profession, when I was 18 after college. Um, wow. My parents and my grandparents sacrificed a hell of a lot, and I was really fortunate to get a couple of sponsors. Um, one local one that's been with me ever since, and then two years later, another sponsor who saw me on the dry slope, still racing on the dry slope, and really kind of appreciated that I was still racing the dry slope and trying to kind of do it on snow. Um, so yeah, they're, they're like called C-Tech, that's the local one, and then Vital Marketing, which is um, based in Leamington Spa. And they've been with me ever since. So I was fortunate that I got those sponsors. And, yeah, they certainly laid the foundations that I was able to, and obviously Kandahar Mosquito, I can't forget them, because they were also supported. So they're, they're the real foundation stones of, of 
being able to uh, follow the path of a ski racing career. Um, so, yeah, so I was fortunate, but my family sacrificed a hell of a lot. And I, I really asked myself, like, would I still, would I be able to do the same for my kids? Um, I don't have kids yet, so I don't know the answer, but I certainly question it. I certainly question uh, if I would be able to do what my parents mm. did and live the life that they did for me to go ski racing. Yeah, you never know. I think once you get kids, you probably would. I'd do it, I reckon. Now I've had yeah, children. Beforehand, I'd be like, nah, I'm not I, I think I'd also give them one of these round balls where they get paid a fortune to kick about. I think I'll give him one of those as well. <laughs> You've got to start them somewhere. And yeah. while we're talking about young kids, you have um, all this you talk about. You've actually got someone who carries your skis around for you called Laurie Taylor. Is that right? <laughs> no, I'm not that mean. Oh, right. Sorry, no. I, I must have done my research wrong. What does he do then? No, Laurie's, Laurie's a racer and on the, on the team with me now so for two years. So, yeah, but no, I certainly don't make him carry my ski. He probably would. He's that kind of guy that if I said, Laurie, take two sets of them skis, he, he would do it. Like, he's a he, he's a very down-to-earth guy, um, would do anything for anyone, really. So I don't make him do it. He probably would do it, but I'm not, <laughs> I don't go down that road. <laughs> so fundamentally, he's your training partner, right? And so do you, do you um, how does that work? Do you set times against each other? Is it trying to beat each other? Or is it like mentoring? How does that work? Um, I, I wouldn't say mentoring as such. Um, Certainly, we have the timing up, and um, it's quite often very competitive. It's very fast. Still got a lot to learn on the World Cup circuit. It doesn't happen overnight. Um, as such as mentoring, he probably watches what I do um, and that, but I don't force anything on him. Um, he he probably could ask me more than he might want to ask me more, but holds it back. I don't know. It's it's. Um, I, I don't. I never like forcing my opinion on people. If if people ask. For sure, I'll, I'll tell them what I think. But um, I remember how I got there. It was very much learning how I how it worked for me. So what works for me might not work for Laurie or any of the other younger guys or the girls. Um, so, yeah, if they ask me, for sure, I'm happy to talk to them. But if, if they seem like they're getting on with it their way, then their way is probably better than what I would tell them for them. If something's blatantly obvious that they're doing wrong, I'm going to tell them. But I'm not going to force them to listen to some bold guy from up north. <laughs> do you ever see? Do you ever look at them? And go, I'm I'm going to steal that idea. That's a technique that I could put in. Do you learn from them as well? Um, Technique-wise, it's hard. I've, yeah, there's certain aspects that they do better than me, um, and definitely I look at that. And it's hard to it's hard to always copy because, especially me now, I've, I've got my kind of technique, and I'm trying to perfect the way I ski with having elements of how other people ski in it. But um, certainly I, I see some things that they're doing off the skis, fitness-wise or how they look, what shape they're in. And I think maybe I could uh, bring a little bit of that into my training and, and things like that. Like Laurie, Laurie does a lot of Kung Fu. Um, I'm not really a, I'm, I'm more of a lover than a fighter. But, <laughs> no. but um, yeah, that's really interesting. Like he, he really likes it. And I can see a lot of the movements um okay that you're not kicking in skiing but a lot of, there's a lot of learned movement patterns um a lot of flexibility involved in it and it's quite interesting to to see if how that transfers and um and stuff like that he teaches me the occasional move but i'm absolutely pathetic at it <laughs> but effectively you're traveling around the circuit together so you there's a sort of economy of scale you're sharing i don't know ski tech uh, guys would it did tristan coach you both yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Last year, we were fortunate enough to have um, a service for each um, because the year before, it was a little bit too much work for, for my serviceman to do both. Because when you're, like, say you're top 15, not many people share a serviceman when they're sort of in the top 30, just right. because of the workload and the amount of stuff that you're trying to um, change on the skis and the setup and, and everything. And especially because I switched two years ago as a ski manufacturer. Yeah. It was an unbelievable amount of work for the serviceman that I think it was a bit too much. So we changed that. And uh, But, yeah, it's uh, – yeah. So how many skis uh, have you got in your quiver then? Oh, I've, got, when you're... I've got way too many skis, probably 30 or 40. Oh, I assumed you just went to a ski set every time you turned up in resort. 
No, 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 no. Because okay, most of I've got like maybe ten sets of skis that uh, I'd be using at one point, um, and then I'd also have some older ones that are pretty much worn out, but I can still train on them or use as if the snow conditions aren't that good. And then I'll have different models of skis. So even though one manufacturer, you think that ski's the same for everyone, it's not. Like with Dina Star and with Fisher before, they'd probably have six, maybe more different like models of, of slalom ski. And then they've got different uh, plates uh, and all sorts. So yeah, I'd, I, I have like, two, I, I have too many skis. <laughs> Do you but have to buy your own skis? Sorry? Do you buy all your skis? Is that, is that no, no, what you do? I'm, no, I'm fortunate enough not that I don't have to buy my skis anymore. Um, yeah, no, I haven't had to for probably seven, eight years now. We, once you start doing well in Europa Cup, then manufacturers start looking to to support certain races and then in the hope that they go on to do it in the World Cup as well. And then, yeah, then, then, they're, they're, then they're actually effectively... They're, Paying paying you to ski on their skis. And can I ask when? So when you're traveling, let's say around the European circuit or, or overseas, how many of those forty skis might you have with you, taking with you at the time? Um, as many as Laurie can carry. <laughs> yeah, um, it depends how long we're on the road for. But if I go, say, if I go from the base to a race, I'd probably take minimum eight. But then if I know I'm going to be on the road for two or three weeks, I'd probably take close to 12 to 15. Something yeah, okay. And how are you traveling? You've got a vehicle provided by yeah. Snowsport TV. Yeah. 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 yeah, okay. I can see why it would keep one guy busy just sorting out all those skis and keeping them in condition the whole time. Yeah, and then obviously when we're on the road, he's he's got to take all his tuning equipment into the van, out of the van. Yeah. It's quite a lot. He's got to do the driving, and he's yeah. on the slope, he's on the slope all all morning because he's yeah. got to see how the ski skis and looks and and, and that relationship like, is a bit like a golfer and his caddy. You'd yeah, be discussing, yeah. you know, what what you think the right type of ski to use here would be. Yeah, definitely. It's um, it's an important relationship, and and what's really really important is how they are at the, or for me is how they are at the top of a race. Because obviously I'm trying to get in the zone for a race, they're always going to be up there around me. Certainly with the sort of five to ten people before me, so they've yeah. got to know how I act. Um, I've got to know how they act, how s stable they are, and that's that's one thing that's massive in Ali, my serviceman. Um, well, one is Scottish, so he's emotionless, um, and uh, yeah, he's very stable, and and he he really knows what to say when and what I'm like because yeah sometimes I'm trying to get in a certain zone or whatever and he knows not to say certain things um sometimes I'm launching a set of goggles at him that I'm not happy with and he gets me another set that I, the spare one out or I'll just say to him literally like a minute before I go I need some water so he gets the water out have a swig of water yeah he's very on the ball up there so that's a very important part of it as well as the ski tuning well, it's, um, it's a, a dedicated job. Um, yeah, I guess it's at the top of a race, to be honest. Yeah. And it's interesting how you admit that, you know, you are really focused and you can be really, you know, uh, um, not mean, but, you know, I, I know what I want. This is what I need to happen. It's interesting that you can go, that's who I am. Yeah, at the top of a race, you have to be, right? I, I can't. I, sometimes you're calm, cool, collective, whatever. Sometimes you're a bit more on edge. And, and if I bark out at something that I'm not happy with at him. He knows I don't mean it. He knows that I'm in just in the moment and I'm stressed and I'm trying to be in the zone and the nerves and, and whatever. Um, yeah, he just takes it and, and gets on with it. The real, the real hard ones for servicemen, if we're doing a parallel event, and if you're starting to go through the rounds, you're starting, I'm coming up on a, a skidoo or a quad, just basically launching in the skis. We've got sometimes less than five minutes. He's got a make sure the skis are right, make sure they're in the right order. Then he's got to run up to the start to make sure that they're on time for me to go again. So it can get very intense on those kind of situations. So they certainly pull a, they certainly pull a shift. 
And even and how, more so how, when you when you get to the final stages of that, because the the time gap between the yeah. racing must go down. You know, when you're in the last sixteen or the quarters, suddenly yeah. you're in a semi because you in Oslo you came second, didn't you? Yeah, you, know, you yeah. must have done that semi. Right, you've got to go straight back up the top and ski the final now, right? Yeah, and then you've got two runs in the final. So um, yeah, and I'm the kind of guy if I have a good feeling on a ski, I'm like, get that ski again. <laughs> I come around, I want that again. So whereas sometimes for the next parallel, I'm gonna I've learned my lesson and I'm gonna make sure that I'm switching between skis a bit more. I think that would be a smarter smarter thing to do. But when you're in the zone, and uh, I hadn't thought of that beforehand, and and I had a really good feeling in Oslo on that specific ski. I just wanted that ski again and again and again, and then I smashed a rock on it, uh, and uh, I actually didn't finish in the final. But um, I, I put a huge, um, like massive burr in my edge. It was about uh, I don't know, ten centimeters long. So when you've got that in on ice, it's so difficult to yeah to control the ski. So you're at the top. That was quite serious. You get to the bottom. You finished. It's the end of end of it. At the bottom, obviously, you talk to Graham maybe if he's covering it for Ski Sunday. But what about the groupies, Dave? Have you got a load of groupies that are there at the end of every race, welcoming you down with cowbells or rocket riding t-shirts? Are they there? There's definitely quite a few uh, rocket rocket cat hats out there, which is cool because I made those like, um, or my partner made them for about three or four years, and then last year we were just too busy getting the cafe going, so she didn't have time. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's really cool. Like Schladming, I think it was two years ago, I saw on the, the TV, some, some people had a Dave riding mask. I was yeah. like, it's just ridiculous. Right. It's, just, it's just gone. But as such as group, people always want photos, autographs. Yeah, that's fine. And, and cool. But it can be quite hard. Like in Kitzbühel, you, you walk underneath the stadium and then it's just, you're trying to get to the athlete like area, the the rest restaurant or where you can chill out, but it's probably 300 meters away, and you come out of the stand and it is just into the the people. So then you've just got to be like head down and go because they 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 will if you stop for one signature, you're not moving for a, for a bit. So yeah, while you would like to sign more things, you've just, you've got to think about getting away as well. To, to you, try and relax for the next run or to get out of there for the evening. Are you pleased with your autograph? Because I always think I'd have to redo my autograph if I became a, a sporting person, which won't happen. Because um, <laughs> I, I wouldn't be very happy with it. Are you happy with your autograph? Yeah, I am quite happy with it. I, I did have a, a few years there where I was like, I need to make sure that it doesn't look stupid. Probably, <laughs> probably before I even signed an autograph. <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's certainly not the same signature I use on the on the checkbook or whatever. But um, yeah, makes sense. I, I like it because you can read it. <laughs> Some people, it's just a mess. So yeah. So strange situation for you when you come back home to the UK. I'm guessing in your local area, you say you know not so many people there are interested in skiing. You're not getting you know, mobbed in the streets or people recognising you, but maybe for some of your competitors, when they're at home in Austria or Switzerland or something, then they would find it really hard to kind of get away from the attention. Yeah, well, exactly. Um, when I come home, OK, there, there are a few people around here that know know me now because of doing the Olympics, being on TV a lot, and you live in a small village up north, everyone knows everyone, and it's like gossip flies quicker than whatever. But, um, yeah, I certainly get more recognised in Austria. Like, I was walking down, I'd just gone out for a coffee on a day off, just before, actually, we got sent home. Um, and the school kids had just come out of school, and one of them recognised me, and then all I could hear as I was walking down the street was my name, um, which is quite funny. So, yeah. And it's obviously always always you if you're going through the airport with massive bags of skis. Everyone can pick you out, surely. Um, I don't actually travel with my skis. They stay out there. Oh, there you go. Unfortunately, I just leave my stuff in Austria. I fly home with hand luggage, keep it simple, yeah, in and out, straight through the airports. Because, yeah, well, I'd have to pay a fortune if I was traveling around with my bags all the time. And I'd have to wait for ages in an airport. The amount of minutes you'd add up waiting for a bag in an airport, whereas if you're off the plane quick and through passports first, you're out the airport within a minute. So, yeah. There we go. Well, um, 
I don't think we'll keep you much longer, will we, Ian? I don't think so. I mean, maybe could I ask one more question? Obviously, we've got you. Know, I think you've been to three Olympics already, haven't you? So the next one in the cycle is Beijing. Beijing, yeah. And I take it you'll be, you know, that's your next major target. I know you said Olympics aren't as good as, you know, maybe getting yourself more consistent in the World Cup, but I presume Miles that's on your still. radar. Yeah, it certainly is. And it's funny because the older I've got and the more battered with Olympic, Olympic this, Olympic that, you certainly find yourself working in a four-year cycle. Um, and now it's only two years away. It's really like, it kind of, it doesn't, I try and work the same every year, whether it be the year after the Olympics or the Olympic year, I try and put in the same amount of effort. Um, but it certainly does, it is an, it is an added motivator. Um, it's probably, I wouldn't write off another one, but realistically, it's probably going to be yeah. my last Olympics, certainly at the top level or in my prime. Um, never say never, because um, like, I didn't do much skiing when I was young, so my body's still really good. However, realistically, it is, it is my last one at the top. So um, certainly double down and make sure I do everything I can. Yeah. And, uh, certainly start you, you mentioned before how you're better uh, supported now by uh, GB Snowsport and obviously GB Snowsport going into the next Olympics uh, looking to be pretty high on the medal table as far as ski and snowboard is concerned and must be quite a big difference from just thinking back so your first was Vancouver was it yeah yeah so between Vancouver and the kind of setup there to the whole of the freestyle team going along as well and the number of people and, they, and the type of uh, resources that you have coming into Beijing, for example. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's just so much more professional now as well. Um, you know, back then we had, it was, I mean, we were doing everything good on the, on the slopes, but we really didn't have the same sort of structure and backing as we do now. With that comes expectation to perform, obviously, uh, especially UK sport. We have to step up and deliver. And I know I was ninth at the last Olympics and ninth at the last World Champs. Um, but they, they expect a bit more from me. They expect at least top eight. Um, so, yeah, that, it's certainly the pressure is on. Um, I was probably three hundredths off eighth both times, but it says ninth. So, you know, it's, uh, it's, not, it's not ticking a box. It, I didn't achieve the target. So, with yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's tough to take as well because um, I'm, I think, well, obviously I'm doing good, but... Um, yeah, when ninth is a PB for me, but I know it's not what it was needed. Um, yeah. It's certainly, yeah, I've got to keep the pedal well, on. Well, Jim and I would be very happy to have ninth at the Olympics on our uh, CV in in any sport, quite frankly. So that's pretty good. But, you know, if you can go higher, we wish you all the best for that and for um, you know, the forthcoming World Cup season, however that works out. And then, uh, you know, yet another year in the top, uh, you know, 15 and hopefully some more top tens and podiums as well yeah hopefully that's where i want to be so uh yeah pull down again on the workload and try and put myself in the best position i can before i push out the gate in in levy hopefully in november sure. cross fingers <laughs> i've got my fingers crossed too cheers there we go well thanks very much um dave for joining us on the podcast um well um, maybe you'll we'll come back one day soon yeah yeah just drop cool. me a message i'm always I've always got the other half an hour, hour around. So cool. I'll my morning training. I'll crack on again in the afternoon. Excellent. Bye. Good to see you. No worries. Thanks. Thanks for your time. All right. Ciao. Take care. There we go. It was a nice chat, wasn't he? Yeah, I really enjoyed uh, chatting to him. You know, like a very, you know, people. It's such a cliche, isn't it? So always so down to earth. But you know, he really did come across as being a genuinely down to earth guy, and I just really enjoyed uh, talking to him. It's interesting when you talk to sports people, especially like that. And he is a really nice chap, really down to earth, like you said. But you know that he's got to have that killer instinct, and it's in there. And it, it came up, and he was talking about um, that relationship he had with his ski tech at the top of the slopes and stuff like that. And you know, interesting. That's why I don't. That's why I'm not very competitive in. Yeah. You know, also he mentioned in there the fact that, you know, in the lockdown period that some of his competitors will be able to start skiing before him. And, you know, we literally saw that with the thing I mentioned earlier in the show, the Austrians who've uh, already started skiing again. You know, they've got skis on and they're on snow. So whenever things do start up, you know, they've got to have, uh, you know, an advantage uh, there. Roland Leitinger. 
was the guy who uh, there's a little video of. Um, so, you know, hopefully they'll at least get a sort of good warm up period before, uh, um, you know, they start to race again. But, um, you know, all the best today riding. Top, top guy. Yeah. And also, um, I don't know if you missed that. There's a little subtlety in there. And he did say he listens to the ski podcast. So there we go. I did hear that. Yeah. Well, I did spot that as well. Yeah. Um, Just yeah, that one episode. Then he gave us a one star review. <laughs> yes. Jim doesn't know what he's talking about. One star. <laughs> um, right, so um, that's it. Um, worth mentioning now um, that you know we're going to the summer recess, so we um, we just do three week every three weeks. We come out, is that right? Yeah, roughly. Yeah. Good. Very casual. It depends. Um, depends what we have. You know, if if suddenly skiing opens up, I'm sure we'll we'll both be out to the uh, Alps and uh, back to tell people about it. Yeah, I think um, if we can get out there. But everybody knows, everyone says they don't like glacier skiing. That's all the feedback I get. Why'd you do it? Is it that much fun? So there we go. Um, uh, got anything interesting for the next episode, Ian? Blimey, no, I haven't thought that far ahead for the next episode. We've got a few possible interviews uh, lined up, so let's not let's not spill any beans till we know what they are. <laughs> All right, no worries. Well, we can drop in um, uh, when me and um, uh, Mr. Burrows went um, uh, punter skiing um, for a day and tried to work out what the best slope is uh, in a ski resort. We can have that nice... Um, uh, okay, yeah, good one. There we go. Um, All right. See you next time. That's great. See you, Jim.